You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Have you ever, how many of you have been on a trip where Samaritan's Purse delivered those boxes? Anybody been? Allison has, my son has, uh, Michael, and they say there is nothing like being there. I hope you are encouraged to participate on this end for those boxes. I want to echo what Lee prayed about earlier today. We have a lot of sick people in our congregation, so please be praying for them. David Calvert was really sick earlier this week, very high fever, but they seem to be on the mend, but uh, a ways from, from getting back, the Calverts. But thanks thanks to Chris and, and, and the team for filling in beautifully uh, on relatively short notice. I thank Ricky for doing that last week for me, um, and Look forward to the time when there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more divorce, no more sorrow within marriages, but that all is made new and that we, as the bride of Christ, worship our Savior throughout eternity. Well, um, I was probably... You've heard this recently from me, but I was probably 14 years old when I first learned that one of my friend's parents would be divorcing. Now, maybe I blocked out a lot of my childhood, uh, and so I just don't remember, but I don't recall ever having heard that before that time. 14 years old. Imagine how far we have come in 50 to 60 years. Today's text, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 to 16, and then 39 to 40, is going to address the importance of marriage. It'll give both instruction and encouragement for how to live as a married person who longs to please Christ. Now, this is just an assumption. If you are hearing the word, if you have professed Jesus Christ as your Savior... It's an assumption that you want to please the Lord. So this text gives a lot of instruction and encouragement for those who are married. And next week's text, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 to 38, will give instruction and encouragement to those who are single. So everybody's covered here. Not not the children too much in this text, but all adults are covered in 1 Corinthians 7, and it's a complex text. And if you feel it points today like, you know, I'm not exactly sure where we are. I'm a little lost here. Just hang in there. Let your mind reset and go to the next thing. Pick it up. And over time, hopefully, it will all fall into place. So in case you are new to Grace Community Church, it will help to know that we are in a series in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, and we skipped around a bit, which is why the schedule looks like it does for the next four weeks. There are three areas of interest in today's text to which I alerted those of you who are on faith life. 
Faith Life is our church's uh, platform where we can communicate with one another, our online platform. If If you're not a member, by the way, of our Faith Life page, you can sign up on the website under, appropriately enough, the Connect button. But I want to get back to the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. These three areas are going to loom large in our study of the passage. First, we're going to think about physical intimacy within the bonds of marriage. So if parents would like teenagers to go to the back, that's okay. You're welcome to send your teenagers back there. And they're like, uh-uh, I ain't going nowhere. Um, so that, that's an area that is covered in 1 Corinthians 7 more thoroughly. Again, it's one of the reasons I, I'm, I'm glad we're in 1 Corinthians because it forces us to deal with things that we don't typically look at on Sunday mornings. The second area, inspiration of Scripture. What do you make of verses 10, 12, and 40? When we get there, you'll know what I'm talking about. And then marriage, divorce, remarriage, causes, and cautions. So it's really hard. We, there's a, I was tempted to say, okay, we'll take three weeks on this text. And this week we'll cover number one, next week number two. But we're going to try to get it all in one session. How many weeks do you think we could spend in 1 Corinthians 7? <laughs> exactly. Typically on Sunday mornings, we stand for the reading of Scripture, but because of the length and the complexity of this passage, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to open in prayer, and then we'll get right to the explanation of the text before tackling these three topics. Usually, there's, there are two or three verses we could read just sort of to give us an overview and then go through the text. Really, there's nowhere we can do that this morning without saying, ah, uh, okay, I'm not sure, but yeah, that's okay. So we're just going to start with prayer and then get into the text. Father, we thank you that your word is quite thorough in telling your children those who know Jesus as their Savior, those who are trusting not in their good works, but in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Your children, Lord, are instructed, guided, led. It's not always, though, as clear as we might want it to be, especially Uh, in this day and age when we reduce everything to very simple formulas. But Father, your word is so much bigger and broader than we ever dreamed. And all the time, our hearts are encouraged and expanded to understand more and more. And that's what we pray for this day. This sermon, Lord, I pray that you would take your word and plant it deep in our hearts. And may the seeds grow and bear fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote... 
And then in quotation marks, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But, Paul says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So in these first two verses, Paul is responding to a question that the Corinthians had asked him via two or three men who had gone to find Paul, and they asked this question along. It said, now look, isn't it, wouldn't this just be best? It's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Paul, um, you recall in chapter 6, attacked very strongly the moral laxness within the church. These were not just people in the world. He said, in the church, my goodness, in chapter 5 and 6, what do you do in living the way that you are? Having intimate relations with all kinds of people, and you justify it in the name of the Lord. And so we've been thinking about that for three Sundays, uh, either directly or indirectly, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 20. And in response, some of the people in Corinth said, you know, we're aware that this is ridiculous to think that you can have these kinds of relationships with anybody. So Paul, thinking that they were very spiritual, wouldn't it just be best to abstain from all physical relationships, whether you're married or not? And Paul's response was, no. This question betrays philosophical roots, not Biblical focus or creation order focus. Okay, so that's not exactly what he said. But all of that is implied in Paul's response. He's saying, nope, God created something and now you're having trouble with it. So you want to take an extreme approach to overcoming temptation. In many ways, the first two, chapter, first two verses of chapter 7 belong with chapter 6, although they also belong to chapter 7. Paul employed the perfect segue to help balance their thinking, although the balance was not Paul's, it was the Lord's. So the Lord is telling us, just, just stop, wait a minute, you can't live like this, you can't live like this over here, stop and think about this. Often in history, dissent has not been allowed for certain ideas within the land. So it might seem that everyone agrees with a particular idea. That was not the case in first century Corinth. There were ideas all over the place. The philosophical debates of the first century are yet another way that our time is like Paul's time. One way that we're different is that in those days, people were given to extremes and they're now, wait a minute, that's pretty much like our way, isn't it? Given to extremes in our thinking, impatient with, not comfortable with, the middle. No interest in the middle. Paul called for healthy attitudes about intimate relations between husband and wife. Look at verses 3 to 5. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. 
For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I'm, you understand, I'm sure, that I'm trying to speak in code, a code uh, with which Paul didn't seem to be burdened as he wrote this letter. We'll come back to the truth that lives in these few verses, but it's written in rather plain language. Don't you think? Verses 6 through 9. Now, as a concession, not a command. There's almost nowhere else Paul says this. As a concession... Not a command. I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, which we're going to find is single. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. <clears throat> but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better... To marry than to burn with passion. And find inappropriate ways to satisfy that passion is what he's saying. So Paul first says that he wishes for those who are single to remain single. But then he quickly pivots to say single is best. But only if you are able. Only if you have the gift. The point is that marriage is the norm, but Paul wants to make the best possible case that he can for remaining single in troubled times. It, it's far more likely that Paul himself was a widower than a bachelor from birth. It would have been highly unusual for him to rise in the ranks of the Jewish tradition leadership in the ways that he did did without having been married. So likely he is a widower, although it is possible that when he converted, his wife said, uh-uh, I'm not having that, and walked away. Unlikely, though, as it will be made more clear as we go. So in a break from the norm, Paul distinguishes between his advice and the Lord's command. He does not do so in any of his <coughs> other writings, according to Gregory Lockwood. And although I didn't take it upon myself to look at all of Paul's writings to make sure that that's the case, I can't think of any place that he did. Now, in chapter 16, he's going to say, I wanted Apollos to come to you, but he had no interest in doing it so He'll come when he's ready. He didn't obviously speak into Apollos' life with apostolic authority, but he just said, man, you need to get to Corinth. Well, again, there's a lot to think about when we get to 1 Corinthians 16 about God's will for our lives. But here, he differentiates between commands and advice. So, what is God's command covered thoroughly in chapter 6 and here again in chapter 7? <clears throat> that is, if you are unmarried, 
you should abstain from intimate relations with anyone else. But if you are married, you are not allowed to withhold from your spouse. That's the command. No sex outside of marriage. In marriage, you can't abstain. So what is his advice? Marriage brings its challenges to those who would live a life fully devoted to the Lord. So do not reject singleness as an option if you are so gifted. That's not everyone though. It's the exception rather than the rule. Much more thoroughly covered next week. Verses 10 to 13. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife, what does that mean? We'll, we'll get there. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So if you're married... Don't divorce. Don't separate. But if um, she does remain, un, if she does separate, remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband. To the rest, verse 12, I say, and then in parentheses, I, not the Lord. I'm saying this, not the Lord. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So what's going on here? Is there a division between Paul and the Lord? There's a little bit to unpack, but it becomes clear once you get an understanding of exactly how Paul is using the language here. In verse 10, Paul is saying that he, he is repeating something or he is saying something that the Lord did not say. Now remember, when the New Testament writers use the term Lord, kurios, they're referring to Jesus. Almost always in the New Testament, you see God, it's referring to the Father, sometimes the Trinity, but usually the Father, the Lord refers to Jesus, and the Spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, I, I'm going to tell you something that I am not aware that Jesus said. And so he's saying, in, in some cases, I, I know that Jesus said this, and I'm repeating it, so you have to obey it. <laughs> in other places, he's saying, I'm not aware that Jesus said this, but as an apostle, I'm telling you, this is way, the way you have to live. So anything that Paul says is just as authoritative as what Jesus said. So again, Jesus said this, and I'm affirming it, and I'm just reminding you of what Jesus said. He, I'm not aware that he said this, but I'm telling you, this is God's will. This is the way it has to be. You're obligated to follow this teaching. Now, it was necessary for Paul to command certain believers who had likely been saved after they were married. So you get the picture. The two religious people or two pagan people are married. 
two pagans are married, and one converts to Christianity. So you could understand why some would want to justify leaving an unbelieving spouse. And you hear as much today. Well, I just know that God would not want me to stay with an ungodly man or an ungodly woman. He wants so much more for my life. Oh, Paul would say, (laughs) but he does. He requires you, in fact, to stay. If you're married, you don't get to pull the I want a spiritual spouse card and walk away and God be okay with it. It's not okay. In Jewish culture, women were not allowed to initiate divorce. But in Greco-Roman culture, women were allowed to initiate divorce proceedings against their husbands. Paul, though, is appealing to a much higher authority than civil law. He then states why believers should remain with their unbelieving spouses. Are you hanging so far? Should we jump, stand up and do some jumping jacks or something like that and then sit back down and go, go back at it? Look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Now, now look, please understand. The way that Paul is writing, this is, he's saying this is the, the great possibility. If you stay together, this is very likely to happen. He's not saying just your presence. You know, you touch your spouse and your children and they're made holy. But he's saying this is one of the reasons you should stay because there is the possibility of this great change in their hearts and lives if you would stay with them. But, verse 15, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So again, he's speaking as This is possible if you hang in there. Some of the Corinthians were understandably worried that marriage to an unbelieving spouse would defile them. But Paul said, no, 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 the opposite is true. The believing spouse might well make an eternal difference for the unbelieving spouse and for the children in the home. If, though... An unbelieving spouse leaves the marriage. The believer is not required to go after the one who ends the marriage. I understand this to mean that this believer is free to remarry. And you combine it with Matthew 19. You'll talk about this in home groups some this week. Abandonment and adultery are the only two clearly defined allowable reasons for a believer to divorce and remarry. If a professing Christian leaves a marriage without biblical grounds, what do you do with that? So if if you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever walks away, believe me, There is enormous agony and and pain and prayer and suffering and 
and support that is needed. I understand all of that. So I, I don't mean to make light of that or to ignore that in, in saying all of this, just trying to get through the truth of the, of the text. If an unbeliever walks away, then the believer has clear-cut instructions. You're free. You're not bound, and I assume that to be free to remarry. That's what our elders believe. Ricky Mill, I had lunch with Ricky this week. We discussed that. That's his view. A lot of people think this means you are free to remarry. But what if it's one who professes Christ? Then what? Then what do you do? Well, here's the way I look at it. Someone who would walk away from a marriage without biblical reasons is not at all acting like a believer. In fact, our elders would bring church discipline to bear very quickly in that case. And we would affirm <clears throat> this is not the actions of a believer. And we cannot affirm that you are a believer. By the way, th there might be help for abandoned spouses in considering this principle that if someone walks away from the marriage, and you never think this way early on, but if someone walks away from the marriage, it might be best to just let them go. Look, when people come to our church, and they're coming from a, a gospel-believing church. I used to stand at the door and say, no, no, no. I don't understand why you're doing this. These are good gospel-believing churches. But they didn't wake up this morning and say, you know, I think let's just go try out grace today. I've been thinking about that for a while. If one of the spouses in a marriage leaves, the best hope you may have of saving the marriage is to just let them go. And not go after them. But you say, but what about Christ who left the, the, the parable of the, of the shepherd who left the 99 and went after the 100? Or went after the one, that is, and it, to try to bring him back into the fold. Understand, but think about the prodigal father, is, uh, prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son as well. Where the father didn't go after his son. He went out on a hill and stood and watched for him. As best we can understand the culture which was very uh, undignified in Jewish culture for him to do. And once he saw the son coming back, his repentant son coming back, he ran to him. But he let him go in his sin and his rebellion. Don't make too much out of what I'm saying, but it's an illustration of why nuance is sometimes required in bringing biblical truth to bear on different circumstances. I often hear someone say to a husband or a wife whose partner has been unfaithful and they say, look, I'm, I'm not staying in this marriage because of that. I hear Christians say, oh, oh, but just think of the testimony it would be. And I agree with that. And some of you probably have been through this. There's been an affair in your, in your marriage and you stayed together and I'm so grateful. We're all so grateful for that. But a, a partner who's been offended is not required to stay. And be very careful not to become more spiritual than Jesus. And say, well, I just don't agree with that. You just got to hang in there. Well, if your spouse is willing to hang in there, by all means, hang in there. Or if, 
if give it a go. But understand that all of these circumstances, none of these circumstances are easy. And we need help in knowing what to do. Speaking of divorce and remarriage, I've always wondered why God would allow a person to leave a husband or a wife who slipped one time in his repentance, but he wouldn't allow someone who had been physically or emotionally abused <coughs> to remarry after separation and divorce. In fact, the, the common uh, wisdom has been, well, I... I would say you should separate with your children for for safety, physical safety, but don't divorce. There's no reason given in Scripture where you can divorce. So you just do that and let's pray for the Lord to bring your husband or your wife back into this relationship. God doesn't answer to me, of course. But this has always puzzled me. What about abuse? And severe addictions that leave children hungry and wives particularly unprotected from a person who can put on a suit and a smile on Sunday morning and everybody thinks it's just okay. Emotional abuse abuse might not seem that bad to you unless you've been exposed to it up close and personal. (laughs) It's akin to mental torture. So recent scholarship, and this is one of the beautiful things about Scripture. It's not that we don't know truth and and nobody had this truth for for two millennia and now all of a sudden it's new truth. It's always been there, but circumstances cause us to look at Scripture more carefully. In verse 15, when referring to an unbelieving spouse who leaves the marriage, Paul says, in such cases, The brother or sister is not enslaved, which I take to mean the brother or sister is free to divorce and to remarry. There is no other place in Paul's writing. If you're you're going to try to find out, well, how's he using that? What does this mean in such cases? You go to everywhere else that Paul wrote anything in the New Testament, not there. Go to the rest of the New Testament, nothing there. Go to the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You don't find this phrase anywhere else in Scripture. So now, we, in seeking to understand how this phrase was used, we go to secular or religious authors from antiquity to see how they use the phrase. From Euripides and Lysias to Philo of Alexandria, the phrase meant in a case like this, but not identical to this. Thus, it is likely that circumstances such as abuse and or addictions that destroy the marriage covenant are covered in this text. And you may well disagree with me, but this argument is compelling to me. Since some cases, this is an understatement, since some cases are not as clear as others, that's why it's a good idea to have church leaders involved In the process, let church leaders help a husband and a wife or just one of the parties to think through this from a biblical standpoint. Now, I understand why women would be reluctant to give such authority 
to church leaders, especially in our case where we have all male church leaders, leadership according to our understanding of Scripture, according to God's Word. So, because so often the answer to the question, what am I going to do? My husband beats me or screams profanities at me. The children are terrified. What am I supposed to do? The answer has been in the past, just love your husband better and let's pray for him. So that guy gets away with it year after year after year. Where a man messes up one time and the wife's free to go. In such cases. But you can't just trust your own heart. The heart is deceitful, right? So let others, and in our case, let the elders get involved very quickly. And my first question, when a woman wants to bring a a man into the office for counseling, the first question is, are you safe? Do you feel safe? The church has far too long treated issues of abuse as if they were marriage problems. They're not marriage problems. They're something more. I'm so gratified to serve with a group of elders who are more courageous than I oftentimes in these situations. They always take these concerns and complaints seriously. Even so, God's design is to save the marriage whenever possible. Whenever possible. So everything I said about free to go and remarry, His design, save the marriage. But He allows for a remedy when one is called for. Verses 39 to 40. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. Now, so again, let's break it down just a little bit. What is he saying? Widows, and when you take the whole of scripture into account, widows and those who have been abandoned in one way or another are free to marry so long as they marry Christians. You got to marry a Christian. In verse 40, this is the one that really is confusing, isn't it? I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Well, you're not sure? Well, Paul is almost certainly using sarcasm. If you go back to the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians He's attacking this knowledge with philosophical and debaters and philosophers who would shout each other down. And Paul, who was every bit their equal, used these arguments against them. And he's saying here almost certainly, and you know what? Maybe you're not the only one who knows anything. I think I too have the Spirit of God in this. That's helpful to know, isn't it? I didn't, I didn't figure it out. I had to have help. From commentators, but it resonates as soon as you see it in a, a multiple uh, uh, multiple commentators said the same thing. 
In digging his readers in this way, Paul ironically asserted his authority as an apostle. So there's not much time left, and there is much to know and apply from this text. So with the time left, I'm just going to look at this list that you have from your bulletin. Uh, I wanted to give it out like that so that you wouldn't have to try to be furiously writing. Hopefully, these additional thoughts uh, will lead you to read, pray, study, and think more deeply about the multiple areas covered in our text. And again, I have to say thank you to Ricky Lee. I put this on him last night at like 9 o'clock. I said, hey, can you do this tomorrow? He's like, yeah, man. He came, printed it, had had the bulletin stuffed up early. Thank you, brother, very much. These lists are a review and at the same time a compilation of truths, applications, and challenges from the text. So you can see that I expect you to get way more out of this text than what I'm able to say on Sunday morning. Home group helps Your own private study will help as well. First, marriage is the norm for men and women, not the exception. Just because Paul makes a strong case for staying single does not mean that he doesn't acknowledge God's creation order. It's a double negative. So he's making a positive push for God's creation order. More next week. Second, Intimate relations are allowed only within marriage. No, no doubt that 20, even so, one 2021 survey that I saw this week in preparation said that 25% of men, or 25% of people, more men than women in that group, which will not surprise you, want an open marriage. 25% in America. Judeo-Christian values, I haven't even heard that term in a long time. We're so far from it. It just don't, they won't speak into our, our culture. Maybe it'll change. Maybe, maybe it won't. But you know what? It doesn't change for us. This is our truth. This is our guide. There's just no way to rationalize any sexual activity outside the biblical covenant relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. Third, one benefit of God's design is to help with temptation. We all acknowledge temptation in this area. And if you have the gift of being single, then you have probably less temptation in this area than others Uh, It's not that God's design contained a flaw, therefore he made a concession for us. God designed our bodies for both procreation and pleasure. And he made a way for our needs to be met within marriage. How beautiful is God's design. Fourth, husbands and wives, this may be the most important point. Think of intimate relations as a spiritual discipline. You probably never have before. But it is. It's often the case, or perhaps it's usually the case, that one spouse is more interested than the other, and it's not always the husband. It's not an area 
uh, where we are allowed by Scripture to either withhold or demand. You might have never thought of this as a spiritual discipline, but it is, and it's very much, and it very much affects your prayer life, your walk with the Lord. And if you struggle one way or the other, at the very least, pray and get help if you need it. Fifth, the radical notion that the wife has the same rights as the husband displays God's image in both men and women, even though they have different roles in marriage and in the church. Anthony Thistleton said, every clause in 1 Corinthians 7, 2 to 6, breathes the, spiritual, the spirit of mutuality. Now, look, I don't know who the boss is in your family, and I'm not making a point either way, but in this area, God makes it clear there is no boss. What to do? Either figure it out or get help. And there may be a lot of reasons you need help in this area. A lot of reasons, but, but, but this is the Scripture. The second primary of focus from this morning is inspiration of Scripture. And we'll start by just acknowledging all Scripture is inspired by God. The Bible doesn't answer every question that we have with the detail that we might desire. But all Scripture is important to the child of God. Don't be discouraged if you don't understand it as well as you would like. It takes time. Some things we'll never understand till we get to heaven. And I don't know, maybe our understanding of God will know even as we're known, but maybe we continue to grow in our depth and, and, and breadth of our understanding of God and we, we just always have new reasons to fall on our face and say, worthy is the Lamb. Especially if you're struggling understanding Scripture, get in a home group where you'll begin to understand Scripture in community. Most dangerous thing in the world, was it Martin Luther that said, it's a, as an individual, a, a believer alone with his Bible. We all should be alone with our Bible, but we can't stay there. We have to learn in community. We need each other to help us say, I needed these commentaries to help me understand what Paul's saying. It's like, I think I have the Spirit of God. What's he mean by that? You'll understand in home groups how the Bible works, what it means. We've got children, uh, child care for most of our groups, and we have a place for you. Next, God using men, including their personalities, training, and ways of thinking, to write his word shows his commitment to the creation, marred though it is by the fall. It's just a lot to think about, isn't it? The Apostle Paul thoroughly refuted the notion of dualism that was popular in the ancient world. It was the, it was the belief that the world is divided into the material and the spiritual, the immaterial or the spiritual. The, the material is here, <clears throat> the spiritual is that there. Material bad, spiritual Good. Not so, Paul said. Though not stated directly, Paul wrote with the understanding that God said, it is good 
after each day of creation. And he, but he waited until the creation was complete after the sixth day when man and woman had been created in his image to say it is very good. The fall affected everything, but God did not abandon his creation. He sent Jesus to redeem sinful men and women, and by confessing our sins and putting our trust that Jesus took the punishment for our sins, we are saved. When God used men to write his scriptures for his people, he didn't put them in a trance. Occasionally, they were in an otherworldly sort of state, but for the most part, he led them as they were, personalities and all, to communicate his perfect love and truth to the world. I would go much greater in the depth into this one, but we ain't got any time left. And think about this one, though. Third, understanding and obeying Scripture is sometimes straightforward and sometimes it requires, requires prayerful thought and reasoning. My son Michael often says, if, there, if there's only one way to preach every text in Scripture, somebody ought to write that book and just be done with it. I, mean, I, 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 I just, I'm, I'm the rebel. The main idea, what's the main idea? I know some, many of you have heard that. If you're going to teach Scripture, you need to find the main idea in a text. But what do you do with a text like this? all over the place. You just take it as it is, and you put the pieces together as, as the Holy Spirit allows you. The longer you stay with the Word, the more you will understand how the gospel permeates all of Scripture, and your, your gratitude and love for the Lord will grow, as will your understanding and your heart to obey. And so our last area, main area of focus, marriage, divorce, and remarriage causes and cautions. First, God's design is for a believing man to marry a believing woman. But if as a believer, you are in a marriage with an unbeliever. You're not allowed to divorce without cause. Now, look, if you're married to an unbeliever, it doesn't matter how or why. Don't play that game. Don't, don't be saying, why did I do this? People advised me. Look, that's done. We tend to think of God's will. Again, 1 Corinthians 16, more about this. Walking down the road and then the path diverges. And if you go this way, that's ah, God's acceptable will, but not his perfect will. Oh, my goodness. No, that's not, that's not the point. God's will for you begins this moment. There's a fork in the road. If you take the wrong fork at some point, it's going to fork again. If you take the right road, at some point, it's going to fork again. You're going to have to make the decision right now. What is God's will? Doesn't matter why you're in that relationship. Oh, if I had just not made that. No. God is sovereign. Have your beautiful children. We have all kinds of evidences that good things have come, even though it feels very bad right now. You can't make sense of God's doings. Except that you can say, here is where I am today, and this is what I have to do. You, if, if you're married to an unbeliever, you cannot leave without cause. Second, the only clear reasons given in Scripture for divorce and remarriage 
are adultery and abandonment. We've already covered this. And while we're restating that which has already been covered, number three, just a reminder, in such cases, in verse 15, opens the door for divorce and remarriage in cases of abuse, addiction, other severe violations of the marriage covenant. But this is the exception, not the rule, which is why it's a good idea to have church leaders helping to guide such, such serious decisions. We all know the danger, do we not, of justifying disobedience? My goodness, it seems to be the primary occupation of many in our world today, justifying simple, sinful behavior, even if one of our sins is treating those with whom we disagree as those who are truly the wicked sinners. And justify anything. I've listened to some who wanted to get out of marriages for the wrong reasons. There are those who need to get out for the right reasons. And the church should protect spouses and children who are in such a relationship. Trusted church leaders can play an important role. So pray for our elders. They do a lot more than you think. And it's a lot tougher than you think. Fourth and fifth together. Marriage is a beautiful gift from God. It is a picture of the real relationship. The one between Christ and the church. So commit to praying often for the marriages in our church. And that's what we're going to do Wednesday night. Once a quarter, the elders call for our church to come together for a day of fasting and prayer. So we're encouraging you, beginning after dinner on Tuesday night, to fast for 24 hours and not eat again until Wednesday night. And during this fast, pray for the marriages in our church. Pray for the singles in our church. Pray for good decisions. There'll be some guide, guidance uh, along this week. But pray for all of us in this most important area. So if you're unable to fast for health or personal uh, or business reasons, give up something maybe that's important to you like social media or sports or shopping or checking the polls. I don't guess there's anybody checking the polls these days. Well, nobody else that is uh, every 15 minutes. Um, give it up. And whether you fast or not, be with us on Wednesday night. We'll be in the back. The youth will be in here. rest of us will be in the back. Wednesday night at 6.30, we'll have a time of extended prayer um, for marriages in our church. To close this service after we pray, in recognition of Reformation Day on this Reformation, Reformation Sunday, Rand Whitley will lead us as we sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So would you pray with me, please? Our Father, uh, these are not only not clear situations that we have to face in our daily lives. Sometimes they're downright confusing, befuddling. But your word makes it a lot clearer once we sit down with it, with the spirit 
of um, trust and a desire to obey. Lord, uh, I do pray for the marriages in our church. There are marriages that are healthy that may be tested this week. There are marriages that are barely hanging on that need support. And so, Father, whatever the case is, we pray that husband and wife both will look to you and ask for help, not only from you, but from our church. And I, I, I pray for those who are married to unbelieving spouses, that you would give them grace and power and strength. Father, we thank you that the great bridegroom of the church came and died for his bride. He died for us. He died for the church. Lord, draw us ever closer to you and to one another. Keep us pure and holy. and Lead us to repentance. Your mercy leads us to repentance. Your goodness. May we repent as we need to. And may we walk in the same ways that we walked at the beginning, through faith and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.